G'day punters and welcome to Tabs Inside 50. If you thought the niggle was bad between Tom Lynch and Sam Collins, that's nothing compared to what will be coming up today as we're joined by two of the legends of the game, Jimmy Bartell and Shane Crawford. Firstly, the number nine from Hawthorne. Welcome back, Croft. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Jimmy. Nice to see you. I'll tell you what, we're going to drew about the Giants at the moment. I'll tell you what. <laughs> We can't trust them at the moment. We're very disappointed. What's going on there? You're going to coach them next year, I hear. <laughs> it's all happening, Quinny. This is a big show. It is the first two minutes. <laughs> I'm going to get put under the spotlight, and now I've got a new job. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. I'll tell you what, if you cut back to one job, we'll take out unemployment in Melbourne, that is for sure. But there's lots going on in the footy world. And how have you found the Festival of Football? Is it nice to just have a day or two just to catch your breath, Jimmy? Oh, we've had a day off, haven't we? Oh, I think we've just take stock, don't we, Croft? Uh, what round are we at? It just sort of got lost. Um, I think that's the advantage if you did put up some poor performances that – you had four or five games just go by before we knew it and sort of we started to talk about something else. I don't mind it. I, I love live sport on TV and especially at the moment with what's going on in the world, it's a good release just to go home and, and watch some footy. Especially when it's a good game, you know, and we'll see some good games. Do you think the game's getting better? Uh, well, I'll I tell you what, when you look over the last 20 days of what's happened and you've got teams playing four games, which is a very tough ask. What Geelong were able to do to Port Adelaide off a four-day break at the end of that whole cycle, that was just out of this world because you look at all the other sides that had a longer break, they all came out and were convincing winners. So um, maybe your beloved Cats are a lot better than what we're all giving them credit for. I, I think they're the, the premiership favourites and um, it's not taking anything away from West Coast. I think West Coast are probably equal. So there you go, the, the Cats and the Eagles um, for me. I just think... They're organised, aren't they? So organised. Yeah, and that's the key thing, uh, Shane. They're, they're back, back six or the eight players that sort of rotate through the back back line have all been together for a couple of years. You look at the, the midfield group, they've added players in the last two years and they're sort of the younger players are about 40 and 50 games when you think of Parfit and these sort of guys. Menegola is young in his career span at, at senior level, but he's an experienced player. You look at the forward line, uh, big Tommy Hawkins has been sensational f- form for the last three years and is getting even better. And Gary Rowan's playing the best footy of his life. How really. quick is he? He's, <laughs> He's lightning. like lightning, isn't he? And the thing <laughs> is with, with Rowan, he'll always expose the third or fourth defender because he's got experience, he's got speed, and he's got power. And they play him out of the goal square where he can expose that matchup. And don't forget, they're going to add this guy called Gary Ablett Jr. back to their side. But it, it's funny how look, when you have to rest some players and that, you actually see, especially some of the younger players who are giving him a, a bit more run up and back, but you've got to give you know, a superstar like that the first crack to show that they're hitting good form, especially heading into the finals. But when I look at Geelong, they, they are just super organised. You know, I, there was footage from around four or five. They played some team at the SCG. There was the most perfect play and footage of the ball going inside 50 from an aerial shot. And it just showed all six forwards going in all different directions just great awareness and it was the, the best coaching tool and then you see what their defence is doing and you've got Dangerfield who can sneak forward and just have a bit of a rest and you chuck him in there with Gary Rowan they don't get much quicker than those guys who can really fly the ball as well so I, I, I'm warming to Geelong a lot especially off the back of what they've done over the last 20 days. Some of the frustration with Geelong is they've been very slow to move the ball. Sometimes they've been too negative. But every time they move it quickly and they attack, they look so good. And that was the case against Port. So does Geelong probably have the greatest ceiling? Uh, I think Geelong are the most consistent product we've got. I think when Geelong have a bad bad day, they probably played about a 6 out of 10. But when they play the footy they did the other night, it's about an 8 out of 10. So uh, the reason I say that is that 
an opposition side is going to have to play to their full potential to beat them. They don't beat themselves, the Cats, and I think that goes a bit to what uh, Croft is saying, that they're just so well organised, they're so well drilled, so well trained, that they know exactly what they need to do. So that means you have to play you know, as an opposition to your absolute best and execute your game style to beat them. They don't just show up and then um, you know, turn up a stinker, which they have in, in the past. I, I get that in the finals, but I feel like in the recent weeks, they've got the balance right with that slow ball movement. I think they, they're moving it forward more. I think um, the big gripe we've always had is when they go too slow out of their back line and they allow the opposition in. And from a Ruckman point of view, you know, you look at some of the other sides, they don't have a Nat Nui style. So, you know, Goldstein was almost there from North Melbourne over the over the summer. So imagine if they were able to pinch someone like him, you know, where they would be getting their hands on it first around the stoppages. So they've had to be fairly negative at times and, and just play the real basic setup and it's, let's just try and get a bit of scoreboard pressure and then back ourselves in a bit. But I think it's actually worked out in their favour big time. How would Adelaide be feeling coming up against the Cats this Sunday? Well, they'd be hoping they're off and touched. <laughs> Tex Walker's 200th game, so you'd expect Adelaide to show a bit of fight and a bit of respect for someone who's, uh, you know, been a great contributor. It is at Adelaide Oval. Could Adelaide win? No way. <laughs> Absolutely not. It just depends on which Geelong turns up. And if I was Chris Scott, he probably, he might just chuck a few more young ones in there and go, hey, show us what you got. We rest up a couple of the key ones or we'll play them forward a bit, which they've done better than any other team. So, um, yeah, I think the second half of that match is going to be a real blowout. Now, it was an interesting game the other night when Richmond played Gold Coast. At some stage, it was more about the potential fight that was going to take <laughs> place in the Richmond forward line. What did you make of that between Tom Lynch and Sam Collins? I love it. I love saying when big key forwards and key defenders go at it, they, they keep their match up most of the night. We don't see it often, do they, with zone defence, and it adds a little bit of spice the next time they play. I have heard a bit of commentary around Tom Lynch. It does seem like someone's sort of put a rocket up him to, to get a little bit more fiery and a, a little bit more physical because in recent weeks he's pushing blokes into the ground, he's given the tummy punches and all sorts of stuff, but... Sam Collins stood his ground, and that, that's what I love about Gold Coast. I think the difference this year is they, they don't back away from anything. Even their young players or guys they brought into the side, they keep coming at you. And I actually, if I was Stuart Jew, I would, I would have loved seeing the, the scenes of Sam Collins in the rooms absolutely filthy. One, losing, and then two, that, that matchup. He, he wants another crack at Tom Lynch. What did you make of it, Crawl? Yeah, no, I absolutely loved it. And you, you think back to the days, you know, when you had, you know, Mick Martin and pestering, you know, <laughs> any full forward. Um, you know, Craig Kelly, you know, pinchy pinch, Jason Dunstall, just harassing the forwards. And the thing is, I, as a defender these days, I think we're too nice. Like, I think you can be really physical and you can, you know, push them to areas that they don't want to go. I think, you know, sometimes when we watch footage of the forwards marking the ball and they show down the ground footage, they're just playing follow the leader. So, no, I, I like that killer instinct. And, and there's some players out there who need to play on the edge. And I, I was definitely one that had to have some crap in me, you know. And I reckon I had that from a young age where I just felt like I had to fight for it, you know. And, and every game that I'd go into, I felt like, you know, okay, this is this is it. This is like world championship wrestling. It's it's me against them and this is – it's on – so, um, and then you have players who play and, and uh, you know, happy just to go along with the flow and they don't need to get to that stage. Whereas I love what I saw with Collins. I love that, you know, he's worked so hard to get to where he's, he's got to. He doesn't like being beaten. And, you know, out of that, I'm like, do you know what? If I was picking a defence, I'd, I'd be picking him straight away because you know, 
you know, he wants to run through brick walls. He wants to do everything he possibly can. It was a bit of a flashback to yesteryear with some of the niggle off the ball. Jimmy, did it remind you of any incidents when you were playing with Geelong sides and one of your players was targeted or potentially did the targeting? Uh, remind me a lot. And one player in particular who kept coming up was uh, the great cheese ball, Steve Johnson. <laughs> um, he was so fiery and so competitive and a great teammate because you knew he wanted the big moments. He wanted to get up in people's face. He wanted to remind them of how good he was and, how awesome to play with. We know how creative and skillful uh, Stevie was, but he was fiercely competitive and tough as well. And in particular, he had some great running battles with Stevie Baker. And one night, you know, sticks out, MCG, Saints are absolutely flying. We're going pretty well. And those two have the direct matchup. Now, Stevie had a broken hand and Steve Baker knew about it. And I think Baker got about seven <laughs> weeks because every time he punched Stevie in the hand, he got a week. And Stevie kept turning around, punching him, with a broken hand going, well, I'm going to miss a few weeks anyway with a broken hand. And these two all night just kept punch, turn around, punch. It was like Rochambeau from out of South Park. <laughs> your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. And at the end of it, I think that nowadays those two are great mates. Like they see each other in a pub or something and they just laugh about it. I think still then they give each other a jumper punch. It was quite extraordinary. I think you got nine weeks for nine, that, nine Steve nine Baker. Us, yeah. And this is what Steve Johnson had to say about that incident, talking to Damien Barrett. Baker was their number one shutdown player. He had some tactics which I'd never experienced before. Stevie Baker started rubbing his stops down the back of my calves, tore them to shreds. He started punching the back of my elbows. He uh, he also had a tactic where he belt the back of your elbows, so it's, you know, it's somewhere near the funny bone, but if you hit it hard enough, uh, you got no feeling in your hands. So there was a couple of times where you know I didn't touch the ball. Yeah, he'd stand there, and you know the defender always takes the back position, and you're just you know holding your arms normally. Stevie Baker would just go bang right on the funny bone constantly. There was no love lost between you and that Saints side. No, they were a good side, and, and that's what it's about. And the same when we played against the Hawks. You, when you're a good side, you want to play against the best, and you want to want to take the best on. And if you didn't, well, you sort of didn't really belong. Like you, you'd get you know shuffled out of that that side. So like I said, you had Stevie Johnson on one wing, super, uh, one half forward flank, Paul Chapman. We had plenty of guys who just really embraced that physical nature of the game. Cam Mooney, yeah. who kept getting rubbed out every three or four weeks there one year. So <laughs> it was good fun to play with those guys. Was there any talk of sticking up for Stevie, or did you talk about the Baker treatment pre-game? Yeah, he, look, he could look after himself. But, yeah, as teammates, if Stevie came up to a stoppage, he'd go, well, you know, this is my direct opponent, whether it was Baker or whoever else were playing, because they'd be watching him because he's so dangerous. And, you know, the midfield group had run over and try and pick off his man with a big block. It, it happened a lot. Yeah, and like I think when someone's being targeted, and I used to um, yeah walk around with a green light on my head saying, "Come and knock my head off," because you know there was a patch there where you just knew you were going to get you know targeted, and and you could sense it. You know, and always Essendon. I remember playing against Essendon, and I have no doubt Kevin Sheedy's like circled that name and said, "Take him out of the game any way you can." But um, if, the problem is, you go to your teammates and say, "Hey, I need a chop out. I need some help." You know, I remember early on in my career, Paul Deere. Paul Deere was a massive centre-half forward, huge, strong guy. But he wasn't someone who'd go around trying to knock people's heads off. But every now and then you'd have to say, mate, I, I need your help. Can you at least, you know, try and intimidate in some way or get in the road? But you're following the footy. You're following the natural play. So it's not that easy to run out of your natural sort of game to run over and then, you know, take someone out. But every now and then someone would be in a, a good position. Johnny Barker was always who's now coaching or assistant coach at Carlton, he was always really good at timing, you know, and running through. And he used to he used to take it personally whenever you'd get targeted or you were getting unfair treatment. He would 
he was one that really come in and stick up for your teammates, which gained a lot of respect, especially from the guys who were targeted. You could get away with a lot more in the 90s and early noughties, especially the taggers. They'd have free kicks against them every ball up these days. But at that time, you could get a lot with them, a lot more manhandling. Was there one tagger that especially would tag you and get very physical and do a few things off the ball that wouldn't be allowed now? Well, I had Tony uh, Liberatore, you know, who went through that stage. You remember the uh, rival with Matty Knights, you know, and the the blood. But I sort of got him – I got him one time off a suspension, so I knew he was going to be (laughs) well-behaved. But, uh, yeah, no, you're always very aware of, you know, the tag. I'll tell you, early on in my career, it was probably my third or fourth game against Geelong, and I was in the forward pocket next to Jason Dunstall and what would normally happen at Waverley. Uh, no one else was allowed in the forward line, <laughs> only myself, but I was told, get out <laughs> near the 50-metre arc near the wing, virtually saying, get out of here, <laughs> you, don't interfere. And I was on Andrew Buse, who was getting on it a bit, but he was a great player for Geelong. And I remember the ball being down the other end. It was just myself and Jason Dunstall, and he was probably 20, 30 metres away. And Andrew Buse was standing in front of me, and the next thing, he threw back this elbow, and I was just standing there, and I wasn't ready for it. And I, I wasn't even making physical contact. And it clipped my jaw, and it dropped me big time. And here I was just starting out my career, and down I went, and I was seeing stars. It was really like uh, the cartoons, you know, you're having birds buzzing around your head and... And I'm down and I gathered myself and shook it out and then I sort of got on with the game. But it really knocked me about. So much so that every time I see Andrew Buse now, I'm like, mate. (laughs) But it actually taught me to use that as a weapon when I was playing. So virtually staying in front of someone, if you throw the elbow back, you can get them across the chest, you know, across the waist. You can always – and I ended up eventually going to the tribunal once, getting done for hitting someone in the face – uh, doing the exact thing at a stoppage. And I said I was being tagged. I was just trying to push. I actually used David Parkin as um, as an opposition player who was uh, helping Hawthorne at the time. And I got myself off when I was guilty. I should have been rubbed out for sure. But I do regret it because I threw it back. And as soon as I threw it back, I knew that I clipped him on the jaw Todd perfectly. Viney, he got you a few good no, ones. No, 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 it wasn't Todd because he'd, <laughs> he'd never forgive me. But I, I do remember using that purely from what I'd learnt from Andrew Buse. And it was always a really good one because if you've got, you know, a player just behind you and and if you are getting tagged, you're wanting to create a bit of space at least so you can get your hands free to get the footy and then flick it off. But taggers back then could really they, – they could wrestle you and yeah. not get it yeah. – you, you weren't given a free kick. So it was – you throw that one back, it would always give you a metre <laughs> and you knew whenever it worked, especially if you get them in the chest, you'd hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you knew, you know, I've got three or four metres here to go and, and do my work. But Andrew Buse was the one who started all that and I carried that pretty much throughout my whole career. It became a good little weapon. So he was a dirty Geelong player. Speaking of which, Jimmy, did that ever happen to you? <laughs> I remember getting tagged uh, a couple of times and uh, one of them was by one of the, the Carr brothers and early in my career and he, he punched me within the first two minutes. <laughs> but then just knee-jerk reaction, I punched him straight back and we just sort of stood there and looked at each other and went, all right, yep. we're, we're both both fine. And he went about tagging. He always tagged me hard, but there was none of the punching. There was none of the extra stuff. I, I think he just wanted to see whether yep. I'd respond. And I did, and I think most of them, if you did respond straight away, like Shane was saying, they go, well, there's sort of the line with you. You're not going to stop them not running with you, but I think they then just stopped the little extras that, that came with it, as, you know, Stevie Johnson spoke about before. But, yeah, I, I learned a, a trick as well really early in my career that the the only the best time to do anything where you push off or, you know, you shove or 
uh, things like that, is whenever the ball is balled up or thrown up, because everyone's reaction, every single person who was at the game, you know, 50,000 fans, other umpires and players, whenever the ball's balled up, everyone looks up. So as soon as the ball is bounced like that, that is your best opportunity yep. to do whatever you need to do to sort of set the tone or, or get away from a player. So I got taught that one very early and also getting really close to the umpire where he backs out. Yep. So I'd always stand directly behind the umpire when he was backing out. Now, they started to crack down on that a little bit, you know, because the umpires are getting tripped up, but I'd stand directly behind them. And then because you knew he was going to back out, it'd be the shove. You can just push him straight into the umpire. Because, <laughs> because, you know, they'd get fined or there was this worry or, oh, you know, you can't collect the umpire. So you'd use the umpire as, as a block a lot of the time. So yeah. a couple of little yeah. tricks that you, you get taught from an early age from, you know, the old wise footballers you would add at, at Finlay and – I had at Bell Park, you know, come here, son, I'll, I'll teach you a trick. And then they, they took it to a whole new level is when playing Port Adelaide, they were using their runner. So I think Mark Williams was coach at the time, but he was using their runner and his runner would position himself in the way of where we wanted to go deliberately. So much so that this runner ended up getting suspended. I think I chased him off the field one day <laughs> because he kept blocking me and then Hawthorne complained because it was used as a deliberate tactic. But then what does Port Adelaide say? They go, oh, no, he's just out there delivering messages. But you, you do a bit of digging and there's a bit of history there. It's like, oh, no, he's got a bit of history against this side and this side. So you go, okay. And then you hear about the uh, the runners being used in kickouts, you know, just getting into a space. So you look there and you see an umpire and then you see a runner and you're probably not going to go there. So, yeah, there's lots of little tactics that used to be used, and I'm sure there's still a lot going on right now, but, you know, as Jimmy did say, using the umpire as a bit of a shield and a bit of a block, you know, stepping out of the way and then stepping back in, it's hard for the opposition player to, to be right on your hammer. So, yeah, there's, there's little advantages that you can find, but you've just got to try and tweak the rules as much as possible. I love that I've got two Brownlow medalists here and you're giving me these secrets. Imagine what some of the taggers have to say what they got <laughs> up to. Oh, well, the thing is, when you're getting tagged, you put it from a work point of view, you're going to work and in your car, in the lift, you know, at your workstation, you've got someone next to you the whole way and not only next to you, back when Jimmy and I were playing, which wasn't too long ago, but you're allowed to be really physical and you're virtually allowed to just hold, drag, push. So you imagine trying to tolerate that for a whole game and then go about your business and trying to have an impact. But the more I used to get tagged, the more I used to get into my head straight away, oh, okay. One, the first thing is, okay, they must rate me as a player, so they want to try and stop me. Secondly, what a terrible job it is to be a tagger. You've got to follow someone around and react. Whenever I want to run, he's got to run. You know, Whenever I want to do things, they've got to do things. And not only that, if you can get your teammates giving you a block, you know, every now and then someone running – off the square and doing a flyby and just lifting the elbow and just saying, hey, this next one's coming, all of a sudden, you know, that becomes a huge advantage. So, um, you know, the, the good players these days, even when they're getting a lot of attention, the good teams really come in and stick up and they give them a real chop out. Now, there was some commentary around Tom Lynch and his actions the other night, and this is what Mark Robinson had to say. If Tom Lynch was a mate of mine, right, I would sit, sit here right now and go, mate, you're being a douche. What are you doing? Now, you may not care what people think about you. That is entirely up to you how you behave on the field and you don't care what people think. 
No problem. As a great mate of yours, I'm telling you that everyone's thinking you're a douchebag for what you're doing at the moment. A douchebag's an interesting choice. Robbo. Very strange. Now, they're not out there to win friends. What did you make of that, Croft? Well, you know, it's a competitive game. And, you know, he's playing on the edge. He's not being suspended. He's getting fined. So he's it looks very forced to me, though. Sorry? It looks forced. Yeah, but, you know, when he gave someone a rib tickler... Like that, I know you can't do that these days and everything's changed, but like, this is your job. This is your livelihood. This is how you make a living. And just sometimes when you get wound up and sometimes, you know, when things aren't flowing the way you want them to, you you act or react in different ways. We saw him push someone's head into the ground a few weeks ago. and But really that, that stuff was happening every game. You know, you, you, you rewind, you know, four or five years ago, that was happening every game. There's little cheapies going all, all around. The good thing of the AFL has been able to stamp that out, but I think we're going a bit over the top, you know, saying that he's a douchebag. Yeah, he's, he's acted in a way where, you know, it's happened a few times, so alarm bells are starting to ring. But, you know, when you've got a big key position player starting to want to knock opposition players around a bit, that, that actually lifts you as a side and the, the smaller players thinking, you know, I've got someone there who's going to protect me. And, yep, sure, he's going to have to pull it in a bit and try and manage it. But don't forget, Damien Hardwick, he was, the, he was the king of the cheapies. Damien Hardwick was hard as a cat's head, a halfbacker who was, you know, hard at the footy. He would run through anyone if he could, you know, if it was all in the play. Um, he used to throw those little, uh, <laughs> little sniper shots all the time. But that's the way – and he was allowed to do that back then. That's the way, you know. So you've got a coach who is very, very good at those things. And Yeah, it's funny. A key forward is that size, if he doesn't show any aggression on every football program, it lacks aggression, needs to throw his <laughs> yeah. weight around. He's got to set the standard for all the small forwards and all his midfield teammates. And, look, he, he might have gone a step too far on a couple of them, but really they, they weren't that serious in nature. They were, I think that's why people are sort of – having a bit of a laugh with it, um, pushing Alex Withens' head into the ground a couple of weeks ago. That's probably not the way to do it, but he'll find the balance. He, he's big, he's physical, he jumps at the footy. He's got it wrong the last couple of weeks. It hasn't cost him any any suspension or things like that. But um, as I said before, the, the only people that matter is himself and the Richmond Footy Club, Damien Hardwick and probably Jack Rewald, who is his you know, running mate there on the forward line. And he's shown enough at, at Richmond. What, he kicked 63 goals in a premiership year? Yeah, I, look, he's got the balance wrong for a couple of weeks. But, again, if he goes too far the other way, he'll be criticised. He's too far this way, he'll, he'll find a happy medium. Croft put away the board games. The AFL rolls on. And so does Tab's AFL Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets all in the one bet. Available online for every AFL game this season to tap account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help. 1-800-858-858. Some big games this weekend. None bigger than Sunday with West Coast up against GWS. The Giants looking to bounce back after a lacklustre loss to Sydney. How are the Giants travelling at the moment, Jim? Well, that wasn't great. I think that was a pretty loaded question there, uh, Nicholas. Um, No, that... I always use, um, I guess, the line, Ken Hinckley, who I knew in all my time at Geelong, and then um, we're still good friends at Port Adelaide. He always says you get what you deserve in footy, and I, I think that's none truer than the way the Giants played last week. They, You touched on it. They were lacklustre in, in the first quarter, and 
all I can do is reiterate what Leon Cameron said. I think he's been the harshest of the lot of, you know, you take away media and things like that. I think Leon Cameron's been probably the most critical, and he said that was tripe, and yeah, it's hard not to agree with him. Why can't they score? It's been a problem all season. It's been a problem for a number of sides. It's been a big problem for, for the Giants, I guess. Um, when they first came out out of the, the layoff, or, you know, the 80-odd uh, days, they probably didn't get enough inside forward 50s. They were probably playing a little bit um, too deep, and but they were still very efficient when they got it in there. I think now they've sort of overcorrected where they're getting a lot of inside forward 50s but not really using it efficiently. What do you make of the Giants? Uh I just don't trust them at the moment. Uh, I just don't know what um, what you're going to get. Last week, like I'm happy to wipe last week because you know what you're coming off that sort of twenty day. You know, a lot of games. So physically, a lot of sides, you know, at some stage would struggle. Um, they're ninth on the ladder at the moment. They have to win this week to keep their season alive. So that's why you give them a chance against West Coast because you know. They had a match earlier in the year against Collingwood when they had to get their season going. They found a way to win, and it wasn't on game style. It was more on effort. So this could be a betting proposition this week um, if you game to pick the Giants to win because, you know, it's that desperation stakes. They're small forwards. I'd like to see more. Like Obviously, Green's a star, but Daniel, you know, hasn't – I don't think he's kicked a goal this year, uh, and he's sort of always named as your, your forward pocket, sort of half forward – he does a lot of work up the field, but, you know, you need you need more from some of your smalls pushing hard forward. So whether or not this week you go, okay, we don't want you to work so much up the field this week, just want you underneath and hitting the scoreboard. So I give them half a chance, but I don't trust them the way that the ball movement's happening and it's a bit sort of stop-start and I just can't seem to, to work them out. And it's not a flick you can switch. Like, it, it's constant work. And eventually you get to a stage where you start to get that real consistency. But at the moment, I don't know, there just seems to be a few missing pieces. Next five weeks, they've got West Coast, Fremantle, Carlton, Adelaide, Melbourne. If they were to win four of the five games, and there's no reason they can't, you'd almost, though, say they're back in the hunt. They are a team with a lot of upside, and you're just needing to see them eradicate the sort of performances we saw against the Swans. Well, you, you sort of don't know, are they going to move the ball fast? Are they going to play a bit of a keepings off? How are they going to go in the ruck? You know, is it Jacobs? Is it Mumford? You know, I still think they're trying to work out the key ingredient. The captain struggled early in the year. Taranto's come back in, which I think is a really important piece. You've got stars like Kelly and Whitfield who are running machines. So you definitely got all the ingredients to upset a lot of sides. Can they beat West Coast this week? I, I think they could. Uh, wouldn't surprise me. But it's obviously, I don't think it's necessarily played out in the field at the moment. It's something that's missing upstairs. Are they still scarred from the grand final last year? Because, you know, a lot of people say, no, you just get on with it. But it's hard to get on uh, with, you know, a, a, a thumping like that, you know, and it was a, a thumping. You know, we know they were tired. We know they were cooked. But, you know, is there any mental scars there or are they putting up the flag a bit earlier than they normally would or I don't know. I think it's, you know, Jimmy's the mastermind there. And I'm sure he's doing a lot of work behind the scenes to try and help the coach and get them back on track. And if any side can come from nowhere, it's definitely the Giants. But trust is a really important factor and it's not there at the moment. 
What do you make of Croft's comments about the potential grand final hangover or scarring? Yeah, look, it's, it's a fair point. And when you, you play this sort of style of football, you open yourself up for those conversations. It's sort of strange. They, they came back round one and played one, one of the best games of the year. People forget about it because it seems like it was a year ago, doesn't it? But, yeah, they've just been in and out, more so in and out of games than um, like within games than actually from week to week. That, that's probably a little bit of the concerning thing for the Giants. They, they can put together five, ten minutes, but then they can have the polar opposite, you know, the quarter before. I think we saw against the Richmond game where they got the win. They were pretty fortunate they defended so well in that second quarter where I think Richmond had nearly 15 inside forward 50s continuously. But then the third quarter, they completely flicked it on its head. Same with the Bombers game. Bombers were dominating them for the first half. Around it goes. So, like Crawford was saying, we've just got to build the trust, I guess, within the group, what they're doing. And I think that'll be reflective with results. Match of the round for mine this weekend. Brisbane up against St Kilda. The Saints absolutely superb last week against the Bombers on the back of a poor performance the week before. And I think of all the teams in the top eight, the Saints are the one that a lot of experts and footy fans are still trying to get their head around. What do you make of St Kilda in 2020? Yeah, I think uh, experts are trying to get their head around because they haven't been in the eight for quite some time under the new coach. Uh, is this just a, a peak of form or is this really them? I think we've seen enough out of the Saints and I guess the talent they've got across the side. Are, my only issue with the Saints coming into the season is when you add so many new players from different clubs, it takes a little while to get that continuity or gets to cohesion to, to play with each other but they have actually picked that up really quick and that's still without learning to play with Brad Hill properly we heard um, Brett Ratton saying well it's on everyone else he's been open we're just not giving him the footy but the others have all all played well you know Butler's been obviously mm. awesome uh, Dougal Howard down back's been really good Zach Jones played good footy Paddy Ryder's had some really good games so for, for me the Saints uh, have come on a lot quicker than we thought but this game against the Lions, I just hope it's dry. Every time we have a cracker being played in Queensland or over in Western Australia, it's starting to belt rain. The reason I say that is both these sides through the middle of the ground can play with some serious speed. You think, you know, Zorko, Neil, these sort of guys, and the way the Saints, when they play their best footy, can play with some serious speed. It's a funny one. Like, I know Brad Hill. I've known him for a long time, and I had a little bit to do with him early on. And he, um, and it's funny when you hear a coach and you hear sides say, oh, you know, we've got to give him the ball and get him into the game a bit. But... Sometimes that can be a bit of a worry too because you don't want to go out of your way to give someone the footy if they're not <laughs> necessarily the best option. you just got to give the ball to the best option uh, once you get it. So I, I don't think you need to focus on getting your better players into the game. They've got to work their way into the game. And he's a running machine. And even when he's not getting it, if he is running hard to spots, he's opening up space for other players to, to jump into. And sometimes we can look at the stats sheet and go, oh, what's he got? He's got 17 possessions. But it's that hard running that really opens up and makes defences and midfields open up a bit. So it allows others to, to slot in. And, and we used to, like at Hawthorne, Jordan Lewis was the king at slotting into their space. You know, so you'd run hard and, you know, Chance Bateman would run hard and then there goes Jordan Law, super smart player, slot into that space, be used, um, and then ne not necessarily, you know, the hard-running players get the ball down the field. I do, I do like the Saints. I think Brisbane, I've been saying it all year, they haven't been playing well, but they're still up near the top of the ladder. Port Adelaide was probably their better game early on in, in the first half a while ago, but they haven't been super consistent uh, from quarter to quarter. So they're giving you a bit of a chance and they still they still play a gun-ho style where they really, if you, if you look from a centre bounce when they win and go and the ball is kicked in um, high and long, 
you look how hard their midfielders are pushing in there. So if you've got a good defence which, which can hold up under pressure and then work their way out, they do give you a bit of a chance. So I still can't work them out. <laughs> I think they'll win this week, the Brisbane Lions, just because I was so poor last week and it would look like they had a flat one, yet uh, they still found a way to win. But I think a lot of people are starting to drop off them. I still give them a big chance because they play a different style to everyone else about the way that they, they hunt in packs, you know. And, and sometimes if you look at a front and square uh, in a forward line, they could have up to six players around it, front and square, which you got to remember only one or two can actually get the ball and, and feed it off. So you look at the other sides, you know, when they go inside, the others are defending in a defensive mode as soon as the ball goes inside the 50 arc. So there's a few things, but maybe that's a new way of playing. It's just like, no, nah, let's just win the footy. Let's outnumber around the contest. Let's just keep that scoreboard pressure on, which is obviously when they score some goals, they can score heavily and really quickly. But will that hold up against good teams? I, I just don't think it will. But then again, it might. They might dominate and smash someone in the grand final. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's a, a great assessment of it. I, I think I've tipped the Saints, and it's only because I think their backline, it's a little bit underrated. I think it, it's a well, I guess, balanced backline. It's often, often we say a well-balanced forward line, but I think they've got all the types in their backline to take the different types that forward lines throw at them. You know, when adding Dougal Howard and then you've got Carlisle, so you've got two talls, both of them can intercept the footy. Howard sort of plays a bit more of a, a shutdown role for the tall, whereas Carlisle likes to mark the footy. Wilkie and Patton, who are almost unheard of by a lot of people outside mm. of St Kilda, they can mix and match really well. They've got some creative types that can come off half back. You know, Long has spent a bit of time down there, but you know, Savage, um, Caulfield, they've got different types like who, who can create off half back. Some can they've got a good balance of the ones who run off half back compared to kicking where we just touched on Caulfield. They're just having more and more trust in this young player because wherever they see him free, now they give him the footy because he's such a powerful kick. So I just think they've got this really nice balance in their back six, which would match up really well against the Lions. So, for example, if Eric Hipwood gets the better of his matchup, they can swap it to someone who still can do a decent job. If if Charlie Cameron gets, you know, really rolling, they can, can you know, swap that matchup. So they've always got different types in case. So they'll have their, their person, you know, for the matchup. But if it doesn't go the way they want it, at least they've got a, a decent player to come over and try that as, as a new matchup. So that's the only reason I, I've tipped the Saints, I think, through the midfield, as, as Shane uh, touched on. They are powerful uh, the Lions, but the Saints have added a fair bit of depth there and got two absolutely quality ruckmen playing well together in Marshall and Ryder. Massive game on Saturday, the 10th place Western Bulldogs up against the Melbourne Demons who are all of a sudden back in finals contention. Croft, can the D's rack up another win and take a big step towards returning to the finals? Well, I, I was tipping them too um, because the Bulldogs give you a chance and I think they can overuse the footy at times and they're another side that I don't trust. I knew that they would bully Adelaide last week. Um and you know, I was big on them putting a margin against the Adelaide Crows because that's what they do. But then they've had a real uh, struggle backing up and having that real influence the following week. Melbourne may not have gone and they may not have Proust. Proust's come off the track with a bit of a hip injury. Gorn may not play. So they actually don't have a ruckman, <laughs> mm. which that makes it interesting. Although I did like Proust playing because it gave him real predictability around a stoppage. Whereas I've said it many times with Max Gorn, he, he does have lots of tricks. So sometimes you can 
you know, you try and take advantage of that, but sometimes it's not always the safest play. But I thought Proust would give him that real consistency around the stoppage. But I don't know who's going to be the ruck. <laughs> and Jackson's out as well, so the young kid who's, who was showing a lot. So all of a sudden, they got no ruckman. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, I think that's going to really bring it back. I, I honestly don't know who's going to, I, I might have to put my hand up to go on the <laughs> ruck for the D's. This, I don't know who is on their list to come in as that ruckman if, if, Bruce can't play and Gorn can't get up and Jackson's out with a hamstring. Um, I think the D's can win again. I do. I just think they're starting to really hunt the footy well. But I am concerned with the, the ruck situations. And I think virtually wait until they run out into the field until you have a little play on the Demons. You want to know that they've got someone who can tap the ball down to the midfielders. Have you been impressed with the D's the last couple of weeks? I was impressed with them last week. I think they've started to get their balance right around their midfield as far as they could rack up a lot of possessions but go nowhere with them. Yep. Um, you know, you talk about Clayton Oliver and Brayshaw and these sort of guys. We could look down and see they have 30 touches and you go, well, you know, the old metres gain stat, they could have almost 10 metres gain with 30 touches. But the last couple of weeks, they, they've got the balance right of taking the game forward one handball, maybe two, to get to the release player, then take it, take the game on. And last week, their goals, they only kicked two goals, I think, outside the channel and outside of about 30 metres. So they kicked them all from about zero to 25 metres out. And that's how you have great accuracy on, on goal and, and you're really super efficient. And that's always been the knock on Melbourne is their efficiency going inside forward 50. So you can be really efficient if you keep taking your shots from the top of the goal square. So I think that came off the back of their midfield play. As Croft was saying, they, they looked organised around their stoppages and how to exit from them. So it'd be Oliver, take it, maybe you know try and take the tackle on, get the ball out to Brayshaw, take it long. It was a lot of that sort of sort of footy. I think they'll play probably Tom McDonald in the ruck, thinking maybe English is not a, a big hit-out ruckman, but he gets involved in the game a lot. He's a 20 sort of possession, 15-20 for a ruckman. He gets a lot of touches. So I think they'll, they might try and just match him around the ground. So I'm just weighing up. How much of a flogging they handed out to Adelaide is the confidence booster? They all, you always wonder, are those sort of wins good or are they a bit of a false dawn? I think this will help the Bulldogs. And seeing Aaron Norton back completely changes their side, the Dogs. And Smith uh, for the Dogs, he's really important for their midfield group because he, he's a line breaker. Mm. You know, you've got Bontempella who's a star on McRae, but they're sort of in the same mould, you know, whereas... This Smith, he, I think last week he had, he almost had 40 possessions, but he covered 800 metres gained, which is just out of this world. So I think they've found a, a really special, hardworking young kid there. Taking a look at the finals, we can lock in Port, Brisbane, Geelong and West Coast. We'd all agree with that. Is that top five or six, did you say? That's the top, that's the yep. top four. Top four, yeah. Richmond? Well, I was going to ask that. Are Richmond a lock for the finals? Yep. Yes. yes. So then the rest of the teams are fighting over three spots. St Kilda, I think there's still a little question mark next no, to them. No, I think St Kilda are home. They're locked in? Yep. I've got, I reckon if Collingwood had beaten Melbourne last week, I reckon we would have had one spot. But now we've got two then between Collingwood, Melbourne, GWS, the Western Bulldogs, Bombers, and I better say Carlton to keep the Blues supporters happy. Who are the two teams that play finals from the names I just listed? Well, I've, I'm saying the Giants. Who, who else do we have left there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Melbourne, I think Bulldogs, the Giants Bombers, could Blues. sneak in, but as as we said before, it's contradictive, but it wouldn't surprise me if they win this week. Yep. Like, it's amazing what the mind does when you know season's on the line, and they do have some very winnable games to finish with. Collingwood, for me, were – I just loved what they were bringing to the table early on, but mm. injuries had killed them, and now all of a sudden doubts starting to creep in. So um, I don't think they'll make it. 
I think St Kilda you could if, chuck in there. But If Melbourne win this week, that'd probably be... Yeah, I, I think Melbourne could almost, as long as they win this week. So it's pretty much, that, that becomes such a crucial match, the Bulldogs and Melbourne. You know, so we're going to have some awesome games this week when you really think about it because behind the scenes, they'll be saying, this, we're going to win this. This gives, this gives us in touch. This puts us back, you know, in the ball game. So the recovery, you're getting a longer break this week, but the mental focus will be really heavily on... Got to get the job done. Got to be really set up well. And I think we're going to have some really good games. Really good games. And they've got the game in hand. Yes, I was about to say that as well. So the Ds are currently in the top eight with the game in hand. So if they can beat the Bulldogs this week, all of a sudden four on the trot. And the Demons, I tell you what, they'll be cancelling the snow trips and hopefully getting to a TV to watch the finals. It's remarkable though, because I can remember not so long ago, we were talking about Simon Goodwin is under the pump. Mm. And remember when they played the Gold Coast? They had to win that match, you know, otherwise, seriously, the, the media were going to go, do you know what, Simon Goodwood, can't coach, no good, out you go. And you could see against Gold Coast, it was effort, like, because their ball movement wasn't great and they weren't hitting targets, but it's amazing. But we knew the effort was there and had been there all year, but it was just trying to clean up and, as Jimmy did say, just got more balanced and, and worked out where everyone fits and what positions we need them to, to sit in. Even Langdon, you know, they stick him out wide and get the ball to him and he'll deliver it long. So they've just worked out where to put everyone. But it, it's a fine line because they lose that Gold Coast match, they've got no chance of being where they are right now. So, yeah, it's it's always makes things very interesting, especially when your life's on the line. Wouldn't be like the footy media to overreact to one thing that happened on the weekend, <laughs> would it? Well, I don't think it was an overreaction because they just weren't getting the job done mm. with a side that we probably all expected, especially when you look at the top 10 players in the competition, they've probably got two in their side, uh, whereas a lot of other teams don't. So you would expect more from what they were delivering at the time. All right, it's time to wrap up the show with a bang. Round number 13, I'm going to get Shane Crawford's best bet, Shane Crawford's best roughie, and Jimmy Bartell to give us Monday's headline. Well, my best roughie, I'm going to go with the Giants because it is season-defining. You could pretty much cancel out any chance from there if they don't beat West Coast Eagles. So I'm picking West Coast Eagles to win, but you know, the more I think about the Giants, I'm like, oh, yeah, I might have a little play there. <laughs> Geelong by a big margin. That's the way to go. Uh, I think Adelaide will put up a fight because 200th game, Tex Walker, it's at home. But just the way Geelong are going about things, they've got great contributors. It's not their top four or five. It's it's all the periphery players who are really stepping up. So I reckon it'll be 40-plus Geelong to win. I'm agreeing with you there. They'll be in my multi. What's Monday's headline, Jimmy? Dream finish in the dream time game. <laughs> So are you going to predict a close game there, not Richmond to do it easily? Yeah, I think a close game. No one. Well, Essendon have copped it, so mm. they're going to show a bit of pride. John Worsfold had a bit of real go in him as a player. So you imagine if he is coaching Jimmy, is he coaching? Uh, he's got a role, I think, somewhere. Mm. <laughs> so so <laughs> you would expect – that's another match because their season's on the line too. They're still not out of it, but they've copped it and, you know, they're a proud club. Mm. So that's another interesting match. A lot and of connections with Northern Territory, Essendon, you know, throughout you know, history, the Bombers. And Richmond had to work against Gold Coast virtually to the end. So how much does that take out of you? So there's a few factors to mm. factor in. It's a different heat up there. I used to go up there for the AFL and, and do some stuff, and I'd sit under a tree and I'd stay, I was dripping, <laughs> dripping with sweat. So let alone running around out on a field to try mm. to catch the ball, which is like a cake of soap, mm. there'll be a lot of mistakes. But um, do you know what? Mistakes make our game great. When it rains up there, it rains the size of tennis balls. <laughs> it would <laughs> be nice to be up there with a beer right now, though. Yeah, and fishing and yeah. uh, having a look at some crocs and catching some barramundi. 
Although I'm the worst fisherman ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Although Jimmy used to hang out in the Corio Bay, you know, and catch – what did you just catch in there? Whiting. What? Snapper. <laughs> I know. Carp. <laughs> I used to catch the carp in the Murray River. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We've got everything on this podcast. Fishing <laughs> advice. Paddy Dangerfield will steer us in the right direction. He will. Bit of travel advice. Yeah, Darwin, beautiful spot, as long as you're under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and air conditioner. <laughs> You've got to stay cool there. It's easy to see while they do enjoy the occasional refreshment up north in those balmy conditions. But and, then, gents, and then sneak to Fatty Bay and back yourself a winner. Go to the Darwin Cup, one of there the great go. tourist attractions there. can be a little challenging, though. You want to be on the front row there when they're going around at Darwin. <laughs> gents, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll do it again soon on Tabs Inside 50. Croft put away the board games, the AFL rolls on, and so does Tab's AFL Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets all in the one bet. Available online for every AFL game this season to Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly, gamblers help, 1-800-858-858.